This is Africa Digest. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest, right here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, where the time is 17.01 Central African Time. My name is Samora Magetti and you can find us on uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm not alone in the studio, though. I am joined by Onelin Sinzi on the news, as well as Tracy Boomgard on your economics. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. The political situation remains unpredictable and tense in the Central African Republic. A group of Congolese youth has called on the DRC people not to accept Patrice Lumumba's tooth Belgium uh, has promised to return. And tensions are running high in Tanzania ahead of the highly anticipated general election tomorrow. Right now, though, let's uh, cross on over to the news desk. Here is Onelensinsi with your latest news bulletin. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. A major opposition party in Tanzania is accusing police of shooting dead at least seven citizens amid unrest over alleged fraud on the eve of the country's presidential election. The act was a Lando party on Tuesday, also said police arrested its Zanzibar presidential candidate, Marlene Saif Sharif Mohammed. A police official in Zanzibar City, Mohammed Hassan Haji, had confirmed the arrest by gave, but gave no details. Tanzanian President John Magufuli is seeking a second five-year term in Wednesday's vote, and opposition parties and human rights groups have expressed concern that the vote is already compromised in favor of the ruling party. The African Union has kick-started renewed trilateral talks on the issue between Ethiopia, Egypt and Sudan. The building of the massive Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam is causing tensions in the region. After a seven-week break in talks, the African Union stepped into the dispute earlier this year when its current chair, President Ramaphosa of South Africa, learned of letters sent to the United Nations Security Council by Egypt, Sudan and Ethiopia in May and June. The AU initiative is yet to produce firm agreement. Truck drivers have expressed concern about the delays in processing the documents at the Bay Bridge border post between South Africa and Zimbabwe. Traffic authorities say the delay is caused by the Zimbabwean border authorities who work normal working hours. The drivers spend the whole day under scorching heat as they wait to cross the border. They are complaining about heat, lack of ebullition facilities and a, a, a threat of being attacked by criminals. There is magma guma here. Come here, give me money, give me money. I this area is not good. It's not good. It's not good. Please, too much. Too late. It's just two or three days. Ah, 
I don't know towards the problem the, those officers the Zimbabwe side or South African side, I don't know what's the problem. They are working slow. They are South Africa's president, Sir Ramaphosa, has dismissed reports that the country is about to go back to a higher-level COVID-19 lockdown. He has, however, said that there are worrying signs that South Africans are not adhering to the protective measures such as wearing masks and social distancing. He says this is particularly serious that we are they are going towards the December period where many people will let their guard down. He says he will address the nation next week on what is to happen next. I don't want to be alarmist. I don't want our people to be alarmed with rumors such as we're going to level three. That is simply not true. And I want to assure everyone that that is not true. Uh, If it ever gets there, I will be the one to advise the nation where we are and where we are going to. For now, all we need to do is to adhere to our preventative measures. Lastly, all United Nations has announced that all persons meeting at the World Body Headquarters in New York will be cancelled following an outbreak of COVID-19 at the mission of Niger to the organization. A letter addressed to the member states from the President of the General Assembly said that in light of the need to safeguard public health, that all members at the Manhattan complex will be cancelled while contract tracing was undertaken, Sean Bryce Peace explains. Niger is a member of the United Nations Security Council, which has largely held its meetings virtually, but did hold its last in-person meeting last Thursday. It's unclear if those members of the mission who are infected with the virus have been at the UN complex in recent days, or whether a representative in the last council meeting was among those who tested positive. UN staff and members of the International Press Corps largely continue to work from home. The UN has itself reported over 5,200 COVID cases across its global footprint, including 64 deaths. 127 cases have been confirmed among staff linked to its UN headquarters. Channel African News, I am Onelin Tsinzi. Your sports news up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Onele. A very good afternoon, sport fans. We begin sports news at this hour with rugby. Vets Sport and Health wish sports physician Professor John Patricios says it was the correct and sensible decision to call off the Lions Cheetahs Super Rugby unlocked game at Ellis Park on Saturday. Patricios does not feel it is necessary to take the drastic step of calling off the entire competition. The decision at the last hour was made after six Lions players tested positive for COVID-19 with five more identified as having been in contact with the affected players. Patricios stressed that it was important to remember that one of the reasons why the infections of the Lions team were detected in the first place was because the teams were tested so frequently. It is hoped that the cancelled match between the Lions and the Cheetahs will be rescheduled and still played. If it is not possible, however, both teams will bank two log points. In football news, the Soweto Giants, Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs have been scheduled for back-to-back weekend fixtures in the semifinals of the South African MTN 8. 
The first leg of the MTN8 semi-finals will be this coming weekend, the 31st of October and the 1st of November 2020. The second leg will be on the following weekend, the 7th and the 8th of November. The MTN8 legend and former Kaiser Chiefs defender Fabian McCarthy predicted a 2-1 win for Amakosi. Bloemfontein Celtic and Supersport United will be involved in the other semi-final fixtures. Former Bloemfontein Celtic defender Fabian McCarthy hopes Siwelele can beat Matsatsanza and go all the way to the final. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto NETO Chemani. Channel Africa with sports from an African perspective. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The political situation remains unpredictable and tense in the Central African Republic as the countdown continues to the 27th of December when the country will hold the first round of presidential and parliamentary elections. James Shimanula reports. The current unpredictable and tense situation in the Central African Republic comes 20 months after the government and 14 armed groups reconciled and signed a peace agreement as French-speaking Manquen Diaye, United Nations Secretary-General's Special Representative in the country, explains. Twenty months after the signing of the political agreement for peace and reconciliation in the Central African Republic between the government and 14 armed groups, notable progress continues to be made. In particular, in terms of political reform, restoration of state authority and transitional justice. The IA confirms that indeed the tense political situation has gripped the Central African Republic ahead of the first round of presidential and parliamentary elections on the 27th of December. Some candidates already questioned the viability of the peace agreement and even proposed to renegotiate it if elected. The main opposition coalition recently resorted to using regional mechanisms to challenge the legality of legislative reforms of the electoral code. The ISA is the 16 candidates have been registered to contest the presidency. They included three women as well as the current president, Faustin Achange Tuadera. If no candidate receives more than 50% of the vote, a second round of presidential election will take place on the 14th of February next year. The IA had this special appeal to presidential candidates. Les prochaines élections comme une occasion de consolider le processus démocratique 
et de transformer politiquement la crise que le pays traverse. View the coming elections as an opportunity to consolidate the democratic process and politically transform the crisis the country is going through with a view to finding lasting solutions. I continue to encourage political dialogue through my good offices to support the creation of an environment. Conducive to the holding of inclusive, free, fair, transparent, credible, and peaceful elections by engaging the international community, including the G5, and the Central African actors in Bangui. Closely monitoring the current situation in the Central African Republic is Cohen Vavik, European Union representative in the country. The EU will continue to be one of the strongest supporters of the Central African authorities and population in their efforts towards peace and reconciliation, democracy and recovery. To that end, we are mobilizing all our efforts, political, humanitarian, cooperation development, security and crisis management, including, as was mentioned, through a new civilian CLDP mission to contribute to security sector reform. Vavik's remarks come at a time when, as I have said at the outset, the situation remains unpredictable and tense to the extent that some armed groups that had signed the peace agreement are reportedly involved in the kidnapping of security officials, two of them policemen. Now, Smail Chegui, African Union Commissioner for Peace, confirms that the armed groups have freed the two policemen. Union Africaine se félicite tout particulièrement de la libération des deux agents de police pris en otage par le mouvement 3R. The African Union particularly welcomes the liberation of two policemen taken as hostages by the Third R movement and calls for an immediate and unconditional release of the rest of the hostages still in captivity. Une posture positive pour éviter violence, tension, car plus que jamais, tous les efforts doivent s'orienter. It's encouraging that the armed groups continue to show a positive attitude in trying to avoid tension and violence. More than ever, all efforts need to be directed in implementing the peace accord. Vers la mise en œuvre de l'accord de paix. That was Smail Chagui, African Union Commissioner for Peace. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. A group of Congolese youth has called on the Democratic Republic of Congo's people not to accept Patrice de Mumumba's tooth. Belgium has promised to return. This after a Belgium judge said last month that a tooth taken from the remains of the Congo's first elected leader, Patrice Lumumba, should be returned to his family almost 60 years after his assassination by rebels overseen by Belgian officers. The tooth had been seized from a Belgian policeman who admitted taking it while helping to dispose of Lumumba's body after the politician was murdered in 1961. The Lisanga Lumumba Association has requested 
The Belgians repatriate bodies of three Congolese national heroes they killed together. As Jean-Noel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa, the association suspects those bodies are still kept somewhere in Belgium. It has been a while since this Lisangalo Mumba Association has been campaigning for Belgium to repatriate bodies of the Democratic Republic of Congo's first Prime Minister, Patrice Emery Lumumba. Lumumba was killed in Katanga in January 1961 by the Belgian colonizing troops alongside his two comrades, Joseph Okito, former Deputy Speaker of the Senate, and Maurice Polo, Minister of Youth and Sport. As most of Congolese activists supported Lumumba's family to demand Belgian authorities repatriate the national hero's body, Brussels said it was destroyed in an acid but recognized the troops kept a tooth that they ended up by throwing in the sea. It's only a few weeks ago after the Congolese youth group well known as Lisanga Lumumba Association multiplied demonstrations to demand the body that the Belgian justice ruled de Brussels has to return a pet with Emery Lumumba's tooth to his family here in Kinshasa. But the association believes the justice decision is not fair since the only Lumumba's tooth is not enough as he was killed alongside two of his comrades and indeed the Democratic Republic of Congo recognizes all of them are national heroes. The Lisangalo Mumba Association has then called on people of the Democratic Republic of Congo to not accept this Lumumba stuffers, this looks sabotage. Hitler Kabea is the association leader. La Belgique n'a fait que jouer de nous et nous prendre pour des ignares 60 ans durant. Belgium has been joking with us for the last 60 years. It's clear the three bodies exist in Belgium. If we accept to receive this third tooth while the cops are still there, we will have defiled our three national heroes, although they sacrificed themselves for our interests. The Lisangalu Mumba Association is planning to organize a proper mourning for the three national heroes, Patrice Emery Lumumba, Joseph Okito, and Maurice Mpolo. That's indeed the reason why they have called on people of the Democratic Republic of Congo to get mobilized and push the Belgian government to repatriate all the three bodies. The association has it very difficult to understand why Belgians have been lying and considered Congolese as fools. Belgians said they were too tough and they were thrown into the sea. Lisangalo Mumba Association then wonders where is the other tooth coming from. Brussels has no other choice but to return the three cops for Congolese to mourn the national heroes, according to Hitler Kabea, the association leader who believes the new history will then start here. The new history of the Congo is just starting as Patrice Emery Lumumba said that the history of Congo will be written in Congo by Congolese. We then call upon Congolese to support us Lisanga Lumumba to demand from Belgium the repatriation of bodies of Lumumba, Mpolo and Okito. Meanwhile, the Congolese government has described the Belgian justice decision is not complete. The Minister of Human Rights, Andrew Litter, said compensations are needed for the three families as well as the Congolese state. Jean-Noël Bamouise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on right now. South Africa and the Netherlands in partnership with the East West Institute and Research ICT Africa co-hosted a virtual global cyber policy dialogue for Southern Africa Today. The Cyber Dialogue Conference was initiated on the 3rd of February 2020 during the inaugural meeting of the Joint Commission for Cooperation, the JCC, between South Africa and the Netherlands. To tell us more about this event, Clayson Monyela, spokesperson for South Africa's Department of International Relations and Cooperation, DERCO, now joins us on the line. Uh, Clayson, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like we have lost Clayson Moniela. We're going to try and get him back again just so that we can uh, continue with the conversation, actually get it started. But let's take a very quick break. We'll see you right after this. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa. From an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, 
and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Now, before that break, we did try to speak to Clayson Moniella, uh, who is the spokesperson for South Africa's Department of International Relations and Cooperations, DERCO, speaking about how South Africa and the Netherlands have, uh, in partnership with the East-West Institute and Research ICT Africa, co-hosted a virtual global cyber policy dialogue for Southern Africa. So he joins us on the line right now. Clayson, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, good afternoon. Very good afternoon to you too. Now, could you talk to us about the event, Claes, and what was it all about? Well, basically, um, this uh, event uh, came about following discussions between uh, Minister Naledi Pando and her Dutch counterpart, uh, Minister Blog, um, and their discussion related to cybersecurity and underscored the importance of close international cooperation in order to develop consensus at international level. So the two countries agreed to co-host a Southern Africa Global Cyber Policy Dialogue focused, one, on improving regional awareness as well as cooperation in cyber matters in Southern Africa. Now, this conference uh, is geared at... uh, uh, promoting awareness on cyber matters, particularly focusing on governance, on peace and security, as well as capacity building. And uh, the idea was also to reflect on the benefits and the dangers of uh, digitai- uh, digitization uh, to sensitize participants, particularly on human rights, peace and security-related matters, uh, as well as uh, to discuss how the United Nations uh, can play an, uh, an important role in shaping uh, the use of cyberspace to create a better life for all in the, uh, in the global community. And what was the outcome of the event like? Well, there was an agreement that uh, countries need to cooperate more, particularly to tackle uh, cybersecurity issues, because you've seen uh, lately uh, where countries even uh, elections uh, in in all democracies, uh, there's a complaint uh, from political parties that other countries are interfering and they are doing this through uh, the use of uh, uh, cyber, uh, what you call hacking, uh, which all happens uh, 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 through the uh, interference with cybersecurity. So there's a need for countries to share intelligence as well as mitigating uh, mechanisms to ensure that countries are protected uh, from such activities. There's also an issue of uh, uh, cybercrime, where there's a lot of, particularly in the finance uh, uh, sector, where there's a lot of criminal activity that happens uh, uh, in the cyber world. And uh, uh, there was a recognition that all of this, can only be tackled successfully if countries cooperate, particularly in our region, uh, but um, with the assistance of uh, the United Nations, amongst others. So, so we agreed that we'll continue uh, to uh, have these uh, conversations, uh, share intelligence, uh, and collectively tackle this uh, challenge of uh, cybersecurity and ensure that the work that we have to do 
um, on the continent in other regions of the world of dealing with the issues of uh, security uh, of our countries is not compromised. Now talk us through the, the discussions that took place at the conference today. Well, it's what I've just been saying now. Uh, this is an ongoing dialogue. Uh, we also have uh, um, people who uh, represent the security clusters uh, of the countries that we're participating today. So uh, to, simplify, to simplify that, it would mean, in our case, uh, uh, officials attached to state security, uh, officials attached to the department that deals with ICT, so it would be CETA, uh, uh, and they were also having dialogues with their counterparts uh, from other countries in terms of how do they collaborate, how do they share information and knowledge and expertise uh, uh, in dealing with this challenge because it's, it, uh, it's not unique to Southern Africa or any single country. It's a global phenomenon and uh, it requires cooperation uh, by the international community to deal with it successfully and ensure that countries' uh, networks uh, remains um, authentic uh, and is not interfered with and no compromised because the important thing is here is that you must know people who are seeking to um, hack, uh, for example, into the systems of governments. They want information because information uh, is currency that can be used uh, to achieve all sorts of uh, agendas, including nefarious ones. All right, and uh, lastly, uh, how do events like these play a role in building solid relationships between countries? No, it's, it's in fact uh, one of the mechanisms uh, that uh, deepen relations between countries because if you can collaborate to, to ensure that the systems uh, of your countries uh, are not compromised, uh, you're secure, the networks that you utilize to communicate uh, and particularly deliver critical services uh, to your citizens uh, uh, is not compromised and service delivery is not compromised, it can only serve uh, to enhance and strengthen than uh, the cordial relations that exist uh, between countries over and above uh, the traditional political and trade relations that exist between countries as part of managing uh, international uh, diplomacy. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And that's Clayson Monyela, spokesperson for the South Africa's Department of International Relations and Cooperation, DERCO, joining us on the line. The time is now 17.30 Central African time. Onelens NC is standing by to let us know what is happening in your latest news headlines. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu and COVID-19. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A major opposition party in Tanzania accuses police of shooting dead at least seven citizens amid unrest over alleged fraud on the eve of the country's presidential election. The African Union has kick-started renewed trilateral talks on the issues between Ethiopia, Egypt and Sudan. And South Africa's President Ramaphosa has dismissed reports that the country is about to go back to a higher-level COVID-19 lockdown. Channel African News, I am Onelin Sinsi.
SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. South African youth aged 16 and 17 will now be able to make history alongside their peers in the United Kingdom as the world's youngest bone marrow donors. The South African Bone Marrow Registry has received the nod from its Clinical Governance Committee and board members as well as the National Health Department to allow 16 and 17-year-old teenagers to become bone marrow stem cell donors. To discuss this further, we are joined on the line by Jane Ward, Acting Deputy Director for the South African Bone Marrow Registry. Jane, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Jane. Hi, yes, sorry. Thank you. I'm now, sorry, uh, first of all, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, let's start off with what the significance of the recent announcement for people in need of bone marrow donation is. Um, well, research has shown that younger donors are associated with better survival rates for patients following a stem cell transplant. So it is a great step for us for further enhancing our registry towards a younger and more ethnically, ethnically diverse uh, donor pool um, of donors for, pe- for blood cancer patients and, other, and um, other patients in need of a bone marrow stem cell transplant. Um, so, yes, and with the change in recent legislation and advances in the stem cell, um, it has um, allowed us and to, to now recruit 16 and 17-year-olds. Uh, we also received approval from our clinical governance committee, board members, as well as the National Health Department. And uh, what are some of the advantages of having young people in the bone uh, marrow industry, uh, registry? As I mentioned, it is um, younger donors are associated with better survival rates, um, and um, currently um, our database for 18 to 25 year olds is only accounts for 6.8 percent of our registry. So we're hoping to um, increase awareness of bone marrow donation among young people, so we can um, substantially increase those numbers. Also, studies tell us that Generation V, which is the age 14 to 20, age 14 to 20, and Generation D are more socially responsible and global-minded than previous generations. Um, they are more concerned about tackling social issues or want to roll up their sleeves and make a difference. So we're hoping that this will attract the, these age groups and they're willing to be um, um, supporters and um, champions for the South African Bone Marrow Registry. Now, with them being 16 and 17-year-olds, how do teenagers actually join the registry? Do they still need to involve their parents? Um, So, by legislation, no. But, however, the South African, we want um, um, these teenagers, 16 and 17-year-olds, to involve their parents. 
um, they follow the same process as anyone over the 18 uh, over 18 would follow. But we will, um, but we encourage and we want them to inform their parents. We want their parents to be involved throughout the entire process, um, because at the end of the day, um, we protect our donors and we don't want um, um, their parents not knowing about this. So yes, we encourage them to tell our parents uh, to tell their parents. And what we have what we have implemented for donors who are 16 and 17 is before we complete the entire process. So once they've registered, we'll then follow, give them a follow-up call and ask them if they've spoken to their parents and if their parents are okay with what they're doing. All right. And uh, do you think there's enough awareness at the moment of bone marrow donation, um, not just amongst young people, I think in general? Um, honestly, no. There needs to be more awareness. Um, we've only just... I'm going to say only, but in 2018, we started our own donor recruitment again. And um, we have started slowly but surely, but we are putting our foot into the market. Um, I'm not saying market, but in out there to say who we are, what we're doing, and to get the awareness out there. Um, and we, we will get there. Um, we are doing lots of new initiatives. Um, we are starting um, doing donor drives, obviously out in the open with COVID-19 dependent and social distancing. Um, and we will be launching quite a few things in the near future. So watch the space. Great stuff. And uh, what diseases do bone marrow transplants most commonly help to treat? Um, so if people with leukemias, um, so blood disorders such as leukemia, um, also other um, such as um, bone marrow disorders, I'm going to use the word um, primary myelofibrosis, um, aplastic anemia, and also kids that have um, it's referred to as SCID, which is severe combined immunodeficiency syndrome. So they, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, 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 they are not immune to germs. They get sick very quickly, so they require bone marrow transplant. Right, and uh, what is your organization doing to ensure that you attract um, people, especially those who are much younger, towards the donor pool? And how do people so, reach you? Um, okay, so what we will be doing is we will, once obviously schools, we're going to be going back to universities once things settle down with COVID-19. Um, so we, we're going to universities and schools. We will also be going, so um, if there's like blood donations that are happening at schools, we will also then just go there to show awareness and um, draw them to our website. And if people would like to become a donor, they can go to um, our website at sabmr.co.za. Um, become a donor and you can follow the three easy steps. We will then send you a digital application form that you can fill out. It takes about two to three minutes. Once that's done, we will then send you a, to a nearest depot where our buckle swabs are kept or we will actually career one directly to your house. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay. Thank you for having me. And that was Jane Ward, Acting Deputy Director for the South African Bone Marrow Registry. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19.
The West African nation of Ivory Coast is seeing pockets of violence ahead of this weekend's election, with analysts worried about further clashes. Opposition parties announced a boycott of the election and urged civil disobedience, among other supporters. In 2010, the nation plunged into a bitter civil war that divided the country into two, North and South. After then, President Laurent Gagbo refused to concede defeat to rival Alassane Ouattara. The conflict uh, killed more than 3,000 people since then. The nation has seen a dramatic change. And under this, under his two terms, Ouattara has overseen strong economic growth as well as security reforms and improvements in livelihoods. However, instead of stepping down this year, he is running for a third term. Political an- analyst Professor Begitemba Ngomezulu believes that Otara's presidential race is not good for the country. Meanwhile, lawyer Brian Kahoro uh, says that the absences of key political figures in this race, the political situation in the country remains fragile. The key, three key opposition candidates, uh, Soro Gadima, who's in Paris, uh, and Bedi, Bedier, who's on the ground, and Babo are all not taking place, and uh, they've either called for a boycott of the election or civil disobedience of the outcome. We know that uh, Bakbo was not enabled to participate in this particular election, Brian. How does that actually make this situation more fragile? So he's not the only one uh, who was uh, denied um, the ability to participate. As you know, the former head of the parliament, uh, but also head of the new forces, Osoro, was also not allowed. Babu has been unusually quiet, but Soro has been speaking. And the fact that the only other credible candidate, Bedier, is as a uh, refused to participate in the election, calling them a sham, makes this all the more fragile because you could have a trade union of three very powerful discontented elements. Mm. Can you elaborate on those? You know, it's like uh, holding an election in a country such as South Africa that's boycotted by the uh, Democratic Alliance, the EFF, and Mm. the third biggest uh, uh, and also boycotted by members of the ANC alliance, uh, such as Kusatu and the South African Communist Party. Mm. And not only boycotted, but uh, have such calling for, if you like, civil disobedience as the only solution. And the circumstances under which this election is taking place is following the very 10, 10, uh, 2010 election in which... Um, post-election violence claimed 3,000 people. We've already started having pre-election violence. And with the discontent we are seeing over the nature of the bodies that are presiding over the election and the fact that uh, Watara is going for a third term, uh, the, the, the fallout could either be uh, the same as in 2010 or if it is not the same as in 2010, the instability, uh, because we've already seen some Ivorians leaving the country and leaving those areas that were prone to violence in 2010. Mm. 
Well, a very interesting insights, especially that you make this dramatic example to South Africa because these are very much uh, uh, power dynamics in our politics in South Africa. And those examples that you made just show um, the political absences in these particular elections. Let me bring that uh, focus uh, to you, Professor Mgomezulu. We know that former Prime Minister Soro has not been allowed to be part of these particular elections, as was highlighted there by uh, Brian Kogoro and the likes of Loring Tukbagbo, very powerful individuals in the politics of um, uh, the Ivory Coast situation. But what makes it very interesting is the contradiction that now Watara can run for a third term. So this is a concerning situation, uh, more especially because uh, uh, even uh, President Watara, it's not as if uh, he's uh, clean uh, in his uh, governance as much as he has improved the economy, but it's not as if he's clean. And secondly, the fact that he's running for the third term, that is a cause for concern, uh, which is not only reflecting negatively on the Ivorian situation, but on the African continent in general. Mm. Because you've seen a number of um, uh, incumbent presidents going to parliament uh, to try and change the constitution so that they'll be allowed to run for the presidency for the third term. So then if others are being prevented from running for the same position, then the question is, is he using uh, the incumbency uh, to run for the third term, or is there, is there something else? Then the second point is that uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, these other leaders also have their own supporters, mm. it means that you are then creating a volatile political situation because it's as if now we are being selected. So it's not a, a good um, a thing for, for, Ivo, uh, for the Ivorians, nor is it a good thing for the African continent in terms of the uh, the global political image of the continent. Staying with you, Professor Mgomezulu, is uh, what's happening now that uh, we're seeing persisting protests in the country with the protesters uh, saying that uh, he must abstain, which is President Ouattara, from uh, these particular elections. Um, How much is that going to be a concern for this particular weekend's election, especially in light of the fact that uh, the Constitutional Council has already approved these uh, four presidential candidates? Uh, it will be a, a concern uh, because uh, there are people who didn't want him to uh, even go to Parliament to try and change the Constitution so that he will be allowed to run for the third term. So the fact that he has been formally approved uh, to contest the election does not necessarily mean that the problem will dissipate. Only those who are his supporters will be celebrating and say that justice has prevailed because he has followed all the constitutional imperatives. Mm. But the reality of the matter is President Ouattara has in fact done the Avorians a bad service because uh, he had uh, his turn and he ran the country on two occasions, so they were supposed to step aside and then allow others to take the country forward. And that was political analyst Professor Pegitemba Mgomezulu and lawyer Brian Kagoro, and they were speaking to Benjamin Mushatama. German-based Merck Foundation has appointed Malawi's first lady as the ambassador of Merck more than a mother to empower infertile women. The foundation, in partnership with the first lady Monica Chakwera and Minister of Health Kumbizo Chiponda, will provide specialty training to Malawian doctors on, in oncology, diabetes, fertility, embryology, respi- 
Tory Care, Acute Medicines, among, among others. George Mhango has the details from Blantyre in Malawi. The Mac Foundation Philanthropic Arm of Mac in Germany announced their long-term partnership with the First Lady of Malawi, Monica Chakwera, during their first video conference summit of Merck Foundation, First Lady's initiative on Monday afternoon. The summit was attended by 13 African First Ladies to discuss their joint efforts to build healthcare capacity and strengthen the response to COVID-19 in the country and Africa at large. Initially, Meg Foundation will enroll selected Malawian doctors by the First Lady Office and Minister of Health to their various training programs for the next 10 years. Appreciating the programs of Meg Foundation, the First Lady of Malawi, Chagwera, emphasized that she was happy to be appointed as Ambassador of Merck more than a mother, adding that she will be fully supporting this campaign as the First Lady of Malawi as a woman. This cause is very close to her heart, I quote. In this initiative, she will work in collaboration with ministries to sensitize communities, particularly in rural areas, to better understand infertility, hence to break the stigma around infertile women, and to empower them through access to information, education, health, and change of mindset. With this development, various commentators have come out in defense of the move, saying Malawians face different challenges in terms of how they get medical care. Twambidiri Maunguru, a social and human rights campaigner, thinks Malawi should utilize the opportunity through various training. Partnership has come at the right time uh, in Malawi, looking at the challenges that we have, especially, especially the challenges in various areas. So this foundation is going to bring uh, trainings uh, to our doctors in, in several areas, including respiratory care, acute medicine, uh, diabetes, oncology, th- th- those are uh, emerging specialties in medicine that needs uh, our Malayan people uh, uh, to benefit from as well because uh, we, we in, in Malawi now have got those challenges uh, and I think if we send people for training, our young doctors that are graduating from College of Medicine or other uh, schools of, of medicine, I think it's an opportunity for them to, to benefit from this training. Uh, we only hope that uh, it will indeed be fulfilled as, 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 as promised, as we have seen in the past, most partnerships are not uh, benefiting uh, as they were prescribed to benefit the, the Malayan nation. So it is our very, very best that this partnership uh, between uh, uh, the First Lady's uh, uh, ambassadorship position will, will create more opportunities in Malawi. To this effect, Make Foundation is expected to continue their important program, Educating Linda, together with Malawi First Lady to sponsor the education of 20 best-performing girls in their secondary schools till they graduate. It is also expected that Merck Foundation will enroll selected Malawian doctors by the First Lady Office and Minister of Health to their various training programs for the next 10 years. Moreover, Merck Foundation also celebrated three winners from Malawi for their stay-at-home media recognition awards from southern African countries to raise awareness about COVID-19 in the country. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. And now for latest economics news, here's Tracy Boomgaard.
Thank you, Samora. The former Land Systems Procurement Executive at South Africa's arms manufacturer, Danelle, Celia Malatlela, says she found it unusual that her former boss, Stephen Berger, and CEO of the company's Land Systems, was involved in the Danelle Gupta-linked VR laser contract. Danelle had partnered with Asia-based VR Laser in 2016, but previous witnesses said the deal did not make commercial sense. VR Laser was linked to the Gupta family. This is what transpired between the Commission Chairperson, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, and Malatlela. It would be correct to say, from a certain point, Mr. Becker seems to have shown a particular interest in the process, in what was happening. Correct. From my point of view. From your point of view. Yes. And would that be not the kind of level of interest that he normally showed in other matters? No. And he now would. he was saying he, he, he would negotiate with VR Laser to reduce their price and he would do so outside the normal channels. Correct. African Bank has started with the consultation process with its recognized union, SASBO, to retrench more than a 1,000 workers. The bank says the COVID-19 outbreak and the associated protracted lockdown have had dire financial pressure on the company. It has recorded a reduction in sales as well as collections, which has created excess capacity across the different business units. The bank says it has been gradually automating across operations and has implemented contactless banking through its digital platforms. Amina Akram reports. African Bank says the impact of COVID-19 on its operations and increase in digital banking platforms have led to the redundancies. The bank further says the current economic realities and imperative restructure may lead to job losses. The bank anticipates cutting 1,269 employees from the current 3,728 staff. In the preceding 12 months, the bank says they have not retrenched any employees for operational requirements. Amina Akram, SBC News, Johannesburg. Nigerians have been told not to expect a stable power supply in the near future. This after the Senate was briefed over gross underfunding and apparent lack of seriousness on the part of the federal government in getting it fixed. Minister of Power Maman Saleh told members of the Senate Committee on Power that the $5.8 billion Mambila power project is yet to take off, but that he was still trying to convince the president on it. The Mambila power project is expected to generate 3,050 megawatts and will be the largest hydroelectric power project in the country. Residents in Liberia have threatened to withhold their votes if their needs are not met by the government. Communities in Monrovia say they have been without electricity for the past six to eight months due to the Liberia Electricity Corporation alleged failure to replace damaged transformers. They accuse the government of ignoring their plights. Power theft in the country is a problem as the country's power utility is unable to meet the huge demand for electricity. Power theft has caused annual losses of around 35 million US dollars. The United States has been assisting Liberia with financial and technical aid in an aim to increase connectivity. 
Ethiopia has recorded an increase of 16% in exports in the first quarter of the fiscal year 2020. The mining sector achieved 300%, with the industrial sector at 95%, and agricultural products at 73%. This was announced by the Ministry of Trade and Industry. The U.S. dollars trading at 379.19 Nigerian Naira, 11.27 Botswana Pula, 108.14 Kenyan Shilin, and 20.28 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 U.S. dollars trading at 5.62 Brazilian Hale, 76.36 Russian Ruble, 73.79 Indian Rupee, 6.69 Chinese Yuan, and at 16.23 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,906 and platinum at $881 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $40.62 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up this hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. Right now, though, here's Emlanjeni by Mafikizolo.